0: Uh, Good evening, everyone. This week, I'm Jeremy. This is episode 97 of Cartel Aristocrats. Thank you for listening. As always, we would like to thank our sponsors, Cool Stuff, Inc. and Gathering Magic for their support for this cast. Uh, We have partnered with them to give away free $25 gift cards weekly with with free shipping on $100 or more and a sweet 35% May special buy list bonus and credit. Cool Stuff Inc. is the store for all your <laughs> for all your Magic: The Gathering needs. So authentic, Ed. I, I know. Really I, I, heart. I, I'm so sorry, guys. Um, thank <laughs> you <laughs> for
1: listening. Our sponsor is Cool Stuff Inc. with an awesome deal where you can get. <laughs> I I'm I'm extremely tired, so. Travis, you were one voice crack away from like Ed's middle school <laughs> cr- lifetime. Okay, I don't think the guy that's four feet tall and wears uh, extra small shirts that are baggy he wants to crack on me for sounding like a child
2: no i'm talking i'm saying like you were really close to getting like ed's middle school life right
1: oh like, i like, see the like the well, i withdraw my harassment then uh
0: this week i'm joined by the usual travis allen with his all his charm and a special guest no the, i'm the usual i'm the usual douglas johnson i'm here like every week the, the, the original Douglas Johnson? Yeah, I'm, I'm just always here. I've been on since episode one. Yeah. Jeremy is on a plane en route back from, I guess, Chicago now. He was in GP Birmingham this past weekend. Uh, Jim apparently is leaving on vacation, so he needs the evening before he leaves on vacation to take extra time off to get ready for it. He needs a vacation from this cast. Yeah, that too, apparently. Um. Anyways... uh. We couldn't really come up with things to talk about, so... Just... <laughs> there's there with it. yeah, There's probably a lot of rambling this week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't make me do this again, guys, please. Um, so I guess we can... Uh, rotation for Standard. It's around the corner. May is usually the time when Standard starts to wind down, despite the fact that there was a Standard GP in Birmingham this past weekend. Uh... Damn, do you guys follow the coverage at all? Watch any of it? It was a doubleheader, so there's both Legacy and Standard. Um, I mean, I didn't really watch the coverage or anything because
2: I just don't do that, but I did notice the uh, the hype around Karn, Sion of Urza being a Legacy playable card. Uh, so that's a thing. Karn's $60 or so right now on TCG Player, and uh, yeah, Karn is a $60 card. What do you guys think? Like, this is something we haven't seen since Jace Friend's Prodigy. I mean, cards like Archangel Avison or uh, Nahiri or Liliana Blast Hope or stuff like that. Ugin have been like 40, but we've never just seen a card since Jace be like, oh, this is $60 two weeks after release.
0: Uh, so I think there are like, multiple parts to this. I myself didn't have a chance to watch the coverage. I was up in Toronto uh, vetting at the Pokemon Regionals this past weekend. So... Um... I, I didn't get to watch any of it, unfortunately. I I just kind of kept up with Twitter and to see like the top decks, how well they were doing. Um, the fact that Karn does see legacy play, uh, I th- I think its biggest problem is that being colorless, it slots into slightly too many decks. I think its power level would probably be appropriate if it had some sort of restrictive, like mana cost. Like if it had like obviously I understand he's a pol- colorless planeswalker, but if we had put you know those abilities, and you know it can still be four mana, but we put it like we put some sort of color restriction on it. Needs to require wastes. Yeah, even if it required wastes, like that would be perfect. Uh, like three and one, like three and one wastes, or three and one colors rather. Um, or you know, color requirement or something. It would probably be much. Getting in the context we'll see that this not all really a drawback because the deck that we saw take the most advantage of it was um, Monored prison. Model Red Prison, right? They play. They play the uh, the Soul Lands. They play so many Soul
1: Lands. Well,
0: that, that's Legacy.
1: That doesn't really. It's a different story. in Standard. I
0: mean, the card
2: would definitely a lot definitely be a lot worse in standard. I mean, I don't even know if it'd yeah. be good in standard at that point if it cost colorless. But I mean, if this is just sort of like an unforeseen thing, or just sort of a thing we haven't seen before, right? So, like, where do you see Karn's price trajectory going in the future? Because it's a, like you said, it's a colorless, universally playable. This can go in literally any deck ever it's a card advantage machine it wins you the game with like it's quote unquote ultimate over the course of three or four turns i mean uh i remember ari lax made a twitter poll this past weekend of like what is the most absurd part about Karn? is it the five loyalty is it the uh the colorless aspect is it the fact that he has just insane amount of starting loyalty is it just like that he makes a blocker for himself is it uh does he draw drawing cards in every like green and red deck like what is it so i mean is this card that six or ten months down the road, we could see getting banned in Standard, if it becomes too ubiquitous? Is this, like, the, uh, just something we'll have to deal with for a year and six months, just carn in every deck? Like, where do you guys see it going, price-wise
1: and play-wise? most ridiculous thing is definitely that he lost his pants in the last several years. And that was earned, no, gained, isn't it? He gained pants? Oh, you're right, you're right, because he was liberated, and now he's not. <laughs> um, first... I, I think
0: the I, I think one of the problems currently is just there's just so much demand for just one the card itself like obviously right. it's a very powerful card it fits you know it's a multi format staple as it's you know as people are starting to discover um, the numbers are starting to tick up I think it was when the first format first started I remember seeing the first week of Star City Karn like slope like snuck into a few decks as you know playing like one or two of, and then people are starting to realize that they can easily play the full set. Because like the general rule of thumb is the cheaper a Planeswalker is, the more you can naturally play in your deck without the risk of it becoming a dead card. That's why like Vale is just so absurdly powerful. Um, not just abilities, but you can naturally just play on three, uh, make them sacrifice a creature, or make them discard a card, expect to lose it, and then your like second and third ones haven't really had any sort of diminishing returns on their value. They're just as powerful as... I mean, were. that's when partially,
2: for, for the Liliana specifically, that's because you can discard extra copies to her. Okay, yeah. fair, fair. But, but um, um, I just mean in terms of Karn, like I think another aspect of this card being $60 and the fact that we haven't seen just a $60 standard card since Jace Friends Prodigy is because this Dominaria set has had some of the most insane just out of this world demand in the first three weeks, right? Like we actually have stores running out of Dominaria and distributors running out of Dominaria and Wizards saying, hey, we we're out of Dominaria, but we'll get you some more. And just we're, we're out of it. Like we haven't seen that with, uh, our devastation, Ixalan rivals, like even, uh, Amonkhet. Like we just haven't seen that much demand for a product. And it's just sort of harkens back to the days of, uh, Innistrad and return to Ravnica when p- stores would just run out of a set and they needed to wait a few weeks until they they got more in
1: return to what
2: Ravnica, whatever.
1: Yeah. What you're, I think what we're seeing the most here is the impact of the loss of masterpieces, which uh, absolutely did a really good job of suppressing standard prices. They put a hard limit on how much rares could realistically cost and mythics. And we don't have them anymore. And this is kind of the other side of it. Uh, so, you know, it is what it is for better or for worse. Um, but it certainly makes cards like card more expensive and yeah, he's very powerful. Um, so, you know, what is the, what is it for non-foil, just pack copy? It's, uh, it's like a card. It's 55 TCG low, but it's like, those
2: are only a couple copies. And the, the general market price is 60.
1: So yeah, which I think is probably about accurate. Like, why I mean,
2: for now, yeah. I mean, yeah. the market price of 60 means that copies are selling at 60, right? It means that people are listing for that much and then they're selling. So, I mean, this is definitely something that's going to drop when we get that second wave in because the the additional wave on this third or fourth week of release is usually a lot larger than the initial release week uh, that distributors and stores will have access to. So we're not going to see $60, $70 Karn, $80 Karn over the course of the next two months. It's going to slowly climb down, but it's not going to plummet.
1: Yeah. So <clears throat> it leads me to a couple thoughts is it'll be, we're heading into the summer, which is going to suppress prices anyways. And it'll be curious to see uh, by how much Karn loses, I guess. Um,
2: I mean, in my uh, TCG Player article, I think the card I uh, related it to most was Archangel Abyssin, because that was a card that people slept on in the first two weeks of release, thinking, oh, it's 20, it's whatever, it's pretty good, but it's the it's the Hallmark Mythic, it'll drop. And then, bam, everybody sold out of Shadows. Abyssin's $50 for two weeks, but then the supply begins to enter the market. People crack a ton of boxes. Abyssin stabilizes at $25, 30 ish and then she rides that price for the next three or four months until, I mean, the next set comes out. So... That's something I expect Karn to do is like, you're not going to see $20 Karns, but you're not going to see $80 Karns. I think 30 to 35 is the
1: right price for the next couple months. That's probably correct. Based on the, like the likelihood of circumstances. Uh, but there, you know, there's a big difference between Karn and Archangel Avison because Archangel was basically played in like one type of deck. Where sure. She was white. So she had more limited play available to her than Karn did. Now it Absolutely. depends on how Karn works out over the next three months. Because he's, like, obviously very good in standard, but he's not a four-up in all the decks, right? We're seeing him, like, ones and two-ups in main decks and, like, twos and threes and sideboards type of thing. But it's not like it's just you, your list starts with four card not yet. Sure. Legacy, you're seeing him sneak into sideboards. And in Modern, like, he's probably somewhere, but we haven't seen too much of it yet. Right, yeah. and I think,
2: well, Modern is a format where it also just takes a longer amount of time for cards to find their home. Right Like right, right. collective brutality, uh, Cole against command, tireless tracker, these are all just cards that people sat on for almost a full year until people realized, wait, collective brutality is busted in modern. Cole against command is insane. Why right. am I not playing four tireless tracker and jump that kind of thing? So I think it takes just a longer amount of time for cards to see their home in modern.
1: I know let me finish my thought. You're right. And if we, as as we progress, you start seeing Karn in more places over the summer, that's going to set him up to have a pretty wild price down the road. But that's happening during a supply glut as the second shipment of Dominaria comes. uh, And also as we hit the summer where prices tend to wane because Magic's a little less popular. So if his play pattern increases from now, but the price kind of goes down, that sets him up to do really well in the fall because then when interest surges, when players are back to the shelf, so back at the tables, when there's no more deep supply sitting behind counters anymore, for sure, that's going to push him back up. So I think the play with Karn here is I do think he's going to go down in price. Um, and I think like 30, 30 to 40 is probably a reasonable bet. But, you know, if we get to late August and he's like twenty five dollars, but you're seeing him more in standard and more in legacy and more in modern. He's probably a buy. And I think he could probably hit fifty five, sixty again. Absolutely. Just just because he's clearly very powerful. People love him Um, and he's got a long time to go in standard. People are going to have a lot of time to work with him. You're gonna you're gonna be more comfortable buying copies too because he's gonna look like oh this is a multi format card I shouldn't feel I don't need to feel terrible about this because I'm I'm gonna keep him after he rotates right it's the same way people felt about buying Snapcaster so that really helps instill confidence in the market as well for sure
2: so I mean Dominaria is not just a card or bust set though I mean there's three or four other mythics in the set that are commanding a twenty dollar price tag or higher like normally we see the one planeswalker be insane. And then we have like the Jayas or whatever or the Arwen chords, but like we still have a thirty five dollar planeswalker next to Karn, and it's Teferi. Teferi yeah. is not modern playable, Teferi is not legacy playable, but he's really good in standard, especially when you untap your lands with cast out and your cast down in your hand and say go. Or People, are, and wow.
1: People are yeah. saying Terra Fairy is better than Jace in Modern at the moment. And really. Yeah, he's, he's at least, he's good enough that people are talking about it. Um, so he's pretty solid. And, uh, you know, you mentioned Archangel Abison earlier, and I was realizing that I think the appropriate parallel isn't Karn, but uh, History of Benalia. History of Benalia is probably the Archangel Awison, where it's a white card using quite a few decks, the control decks play a couple of sideboards. There are some decks that are built around it. Sure. So I he's think I think one of the thing's that like you like you guys
0: touched on briefly earlier, I can't remember who it was, but like this is the this is a byproduct of not having masterpieces. It's yeah. becoming it's definitely becoming much more evident, right? Like it's it's been a little while since we've experienced it, but I think the, like the one that was most apparent in terms of the no masterpiece effect was probably like Eldrich Moon. Um because I it definitely had like pretty expensive cards out of the gate. And not, they weren't all discovered right away, but the ones that did become expensive mainly, uh, like Little and
2: Emeralds for sure.
0: Yeah, Little Island Lost Hope and Emerald was like, they were two big ones, and they stayed very, very expensive just for their time. And you can kind of look at it in a similar pattern of a limited supply in the sense that it was the summer set, it was, it came out in July, which is traditionally just the least open set of uh, the year. Um, and without the masterpieces, it kind of uh, the open one those two mythics in your box or bust type thing. Um, but le- like, it, obviously the parallel isn't hundred percent. Like, you know, there's still good cards on uh, in Dominaria outside of the mythics. Most of them are actually pretty high. Like, if you're opening any of like, there's five mythics that are like twenty dollars. I think Mox Amber still is Amber's like sixteen. Okay, so, like, Amber is, like, the worst one. Uh, that one's, like, kind of been a slow decline, but it's not, like, it's exactly, like, plummeted in price. Um, like, obviously, the other ones have trended up. Karn, Lyra, um, Teferi, and History of Benalia. Um, but I think until, like, we definitely have more supply, these prices are probably going to stay relatively static. And even after there's more Dominator entering the market that uh that you know the game stores can reorder through their distributor or Watsy or whatever, I'm not sure that these will definitely like plummet or even drop that much to be perfectly honest. Like Karn is clearly good enough that it's just it's it's gonna be kind of hard to invalidate how useful it is. Same with, you know, Lyra, Teferi. Like there's definitely a, a strong core for like any sort of like white sure. deck or like blue white deck or something. Like those cards are probably powerful enough to stay. And I don't really see stores just opening many, many more boxes, even if they get a second wave in, as it were. Um, Like, naturally, like price will go down mainly because, you know, summertime, uh, people just aren't opening more. Demand just kind of falls off. But like, like, I think, like you said, like it's these prices are pretty much here to stay until maybe Core 19 will change something up. But you know these most of these cards. You know there's 18 months left and uh 15 months left in standard for them. I it, just, it doesn't seem it doesn't seem like given how powerful they are that we'll see any sort of real like cratering and price on them. That's fair. I, are you guys like completely sold out of boxes or uh, in your store or where are you at? On I mean we
2: are, but we're I from my personal experience am also a. I mean, I'm not the store, but our store that I work with is a small store, so being out of stock on Dominaria is not, like, the most unusual thing that's ever happened. It's not, like, unheard of. Um, I just personally don't order, like, Infinity cases like Jeremy or, like, other giant stores. Um, I just get my small little amount that I know I can sell on Twitter and locally. That's basically it. So my personal experience in this area is not entirely irrelevant. Okay. Or or a... Sample size, I should say, shouldn't be counted as a sample size.
0: All right. Any last thoughts on all this? Like, this is obviously not taken. The original question was talking about GP Birmingham, and obviously, mm. Karn was kind of like the, the forefront because that, that was the deck that won the Legacy Grand Prix. Right. Um, thoughts on. Uh, so, the, the one that a question that people have brought quite a bit is like, do we see Death Shaman getting banned? Is that.
2: Not before the Pro Tour, I don't think. Um. I'd be really surprised if Wizards was willing to screw the core dynamic of Legacy so close to the Legacy Pro Tour. Um, I do not think that would leave many people
1: happy. But Yeah, but that's the best time to do it, right? Is like, it? Well, yeah, because instead of everyone walking into a essentially very solved Legacy format... Well, I Legacy's guess, not whatever. solved, though, is the thing. That's the... I mean, those Birmingham lists were real similar to every other Legacy event list we've seen, uh, with the exception of the addition of a couple Karns. Like, I don't know. It would be exciting. It would make Legacy fun to watch.
0: I I think, like, the problem with that, though, I think they got so much backlash from, what was it, the Modern Pro Tour? Modern was where they axed Twin and then Eldrazi happened. Right, right. And they basically said they did it for the purpose Solely for the purpose of shaking up the meta, just so you know, new things could be uh, highlighted at the pro tour. And I think th- th- there are two there are two problems with that one, like the Aldrazzi, I think that was kind of that was its own thing. Of, yeah. yeah, right. It that was,
2: was a separate yeah, issue.
0: Yeah, that was incidental. Right. I don't think they had projected to have Ive Ugin interact with you know Cheap Aldrazzi the way it did. But I, I think the part that people are outraged about was it the banning happened. Like three weeks, two weeks before the Pro Tour. It was like some very, very short amount of time. And it kind of, it just like decimated people's testing because I think yeah, a lot that's of people- the other thing is it just
2: ruins people's decks that they've already invested thousands of dollars. In. Like if somebody spends a month building and testing Grixis Shadow or Grixis Delver or whatever it is, and they say, no, you can't play that, it doesn't leave for a whole
1: lot of room of uh,
2: like figuring out a new deck
1: to play. How long, how far are we from the Pro Tour? We're like a month, I think. No, five or six weeks, right? Because it's quite a while now. No, the the Team Pro Tour, the one that's
0: coming up is uh, the one in, did you know this, uh, June 1st through the, June 3rd is Pro Tour Dominaria.
1: So two or three weeks.
0: Right, right, right. But, that, but that's not the Team Pro Tour. The Team Pro Tour is the 21st anniversary Pro Tour. I'm pretty sure that's happening in
1: okay. uh, like in August, I think. Oh, so they've got to wait. So when's the next? There would be. There's at least one ban list between now and then. August third and fifth. Okay, so maybe. Yeah. So like, there, there's a decent amount of time, but I, I think it's in Minneapolis. Yep. I know. If I'm wizards and I think that death rate shaman is a problem, if I want to ban it, I am waiting until uh, as close to the pro tours I can get. That provides. Yeah. Mo- yeah. Well. Yeah. Because doing it ahead of time gives people like three months to like the excitement around the card being banned is going to come right after it's the excitement around the card beat and unbanned is going to come in the first event or two after that occurs. So you want to capture that for the pro tour. If they do it, like if they did it in January, by the time you got to the pro tour, uh it wouldn't be exciting anymore. So that's how you hook people with like, Oh yeah, well of course I'm going to watch because they just unbanned death, right? I want to see what's good now. But
2: Legacy is such a big card pool that bannings take like a lot longer than other formats
1: to figure out what exactly it means. You're correct, but the the impact is still going to be bigger on the first event than it is six weeks later. True. The the gap between the first day and the first weekend is going to be much bigger than the gap between the seventh and eighth week, even if it's still evolving, which it would be. True. I'm just on the
2: opinion that I don't think Wizards will uh, want to risk ruining a bunch of people's established decks they've spent thousands of dollars on.
1: Mm, they do it time and time again.
2: But for the 25th anniversary, though? What's that matter?
0: I mean, in the context of it, right, that's a relatively like small amount of people they're upsetting. Yeah, right? They're also like,
1: extremely enfranchised players that are unlikely to be too perturbed by that. They don't want to screw up any with F&M decks, but you know, the Legacy Pro Tour is a whole other story. I'm not saying they will. I'm saying if they were going to, close to the Pro Tour, is where, the last banning update before the Pro Tour is where I would do it. Yeah, I, that's, that's a like, rough spot on them. Like, I think,
0: like, in my mind, I think Right Shaman needs to go. Um, right Shaman decks were, what, five out of the top eight lists? And then nine through 16, it was, like, six of eight. I think. I think, like, that's... I think that just goes to show, like, the card sees a little bit too much play. Um, it's too easy to splash. It does too much. I think, like, it just kind of has all the... It just checks everything off of this card is just oppressively powerful. Um, it does need to go... I think, like, the more interesting question is, like, how much how much time do people actually have to play with right Shaman before something does happen? Um, so... I don't I think I think that probably wraps up GP Birmingham. Obviously, like legacy is like the more interesting part in terms of standard. Um, I like I saw like pretty limited coverage because I've noticed like it the like these double header grand prix they kind of have this awkward period where the first part gets way more attention than the second part. Like uh, it was like the same as Seattle. I saw a lot of coverage for the legacy. And, like, by the time Sunday rolled around, like, I wasn't really looking, like, too keen on falling up on standard. One, because it's standard. And two, um, the fact that you're kind of, like, jumping in, like, in the second day makes it a little bit bizarre. Um, but, like, it just seemed, it just seemed like, black-red, like, vehicles is the dominant deck, based on what I read on coverage. It was something like six of eight decks or something
1: in the top eight. That yeah, was, that was pretty nuts. Yeah. <clears throat> Which, um, which opens up a lot of space because Kaladesh has a real strong grip on standard right now. And it, you know, between the re- residual energy decks and the vehicles being a really big deal, there's a lot of Kaladesh and standard. You don't always see that every summer, some summers, the old sets have kind of aren't keeping up quite as much and the new sets have kind of pushed them out. Uh, but Kaladesh is going to leave a gaping hole in standard. So this, rotation is going to be huge like even bigger than they normally are um so it's going to be important to kind of keep an eye on new cards that you're seeing floating around uh that look like they might be able to stand up on their own uh once we lose kaladesh but it's, it's going to be tough it's going to be real tough to spot those types of cards no no one agrees no one i mean i it's standard I, I, I
2: don't disagree with you, which is why I'm not vehemently slashing down every point you made. But I mean, it's standard. I don't really care too much. Well, it it matters a little bit in the sense that we. It does. May, you're right. I'm not saying it doesn't
1: matter. I'm just saying I don't care. We we may be getting closer to the standard dynamic that we used to have. Um, standard used to be really profitable if you were able to watch the waves. In September, you know, all summer long, you trade for the dual lands from the old set. uh, And then in the new fall, they all double in price and you cash them all in. And you could do that every year, hands down. Card prices moved 200% and you could see- No, you're right.
2: It used to be like clockwork. I'm not disagreeing.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, no, I know you're not. I know you're not. I'm just, cut up our listeners. It used to be a profitable format. The last several years, it hasn't been. We've lost that, especially with masterpieces, just cratering standard prices. You, it was really hard to make a profit and if you didn't call walking ballista there was not a lot of money to be made at least not easily um, on the actual standard format but that's might be pulling back a little bit there we're seeing uh, a decrease in the growth of magic which means we might see like print runs shrink um, there might be you know they might not be flooding the market the same way they were uh and standard prices can be a little higher so there might be more room for us to work with standard where it's been an otherwise Dead format for a couple years.
0: Yeah, standard is uh, it's definitely been pretty bad. Like I, I, I don't want to say like bad is the right word. Like it's been unpopular. I, that's that's probably more accurate. Like the sure. past few years, like they've yeah. been they've been played with basically just like problem after problem after problem. Right. Like we started with um, like this started probably like what like battle for Zendikar. When that first came yeah. out, yeah, um, Battle yeah. card
2: was definitely the first of the "Let's uh, make Gideon the best card and nothing else" sort of matter.
0: Right, and that was also like the introduction of like masterpieces. So we kind of yeah. saw, we 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 definitely saw that effect in place. Like it, it was it was great for. Um, like decks, like I think that was so in origins, like uh, so Jeskai Black, like those. I mean, guys. yeah, Battle
2: for Zendikar was the start of the whole $600 deck meme because you could pollute a Delta into your dual lands and then play Jace plus everything, Coco, and it was just a whatever. I didn't, yeah,
0: right, right. And there were like, there were definitely some impressive things, like Gideon was a problematic collector company, um, among others, right into like Embercle, right into Aetherworks
2: Marvel, right into Smuggler's Copter, right into Saheli, right into. Yeah, it was all just
0: yep. So and then there was also that period where they said they were changing rotation, and then they down... back slashed that, and then it was yeah, it was all just a mess the past three years. Right, right. So standard has definitely been not the the most like wizards just like has not been hitting like a lot a lot of high points on it. It feels like um, I'm not sure what that looks like going forward. I think like step one, seeing Kaladesh exit standard. Like, the Kaladesh and Amokat blocks Exit Standard, that's probably, like, probably kind of, like the, like, the first, like, fix they can do. Um, obviously, like, they've been better about, like, not having anything that's, like, too oppressive. Um, for a little while there, like, I think after hour Devastation, it kind of felt like, you know, like, the mono red decks were a little too powerful. Which they did, obviously, address with banning Reminap Ruins among, like, the the uh, among, like, the Energy-type things. But, like, hopefully Ixalan is kind of at a reasonable point where they can kind of just reset Standard. Hopefully have reasonable, like, masterpiece base sets are gone so we can kind of see what Standard looks like. You know, we're looking back to, like, 2014 at this point, basically, where there were no Masterpieces, so we can kind of see how that affects prices. Um, and, like, because, like, Ixalan uh, and Rivals of Ixalan, they were the first two non-Masterpiece sets. Um, and I, I think, Travis, I think, like... Those two sets, I think, if we're looking for sort of standard speculation, or if you're looking to make a buck on standard, like that's probably the place to start looking. Which if sets? You kind of? What's up? Which sets? Uh, ixlon and rivals of ixlon. Yep, our our first uh two yeah. non masterpiece blocks. Um, mainly because if you just look at the price index of them, um, like you compare aether revolt and rivals of ixlon, they were. You know, they're the the winter springs. That's uh, a year apart from each other. Like Aethervolt, like I, I I think people gave Aethervolt like a lot of flack if the set felt pretty bad, and then it became apparent that it was actually a pretty powerful set. There were a lot of like you know heavy hitters. Um, Walking Blasto was like this the rare that popped out. Uh, but like just I'm just looking at Donglair right now, and the most expensive car in the set at one point was fatal push i remember it, like we were talking about it i think we did multiple episodes where fatal push was just like the it was the best selling card in aether revolt it was the best card in aether revolt uh, mainly because people hadn't figured out how to kind of uh, like fit everything in and then for a while it was hard of Kirin. that was the best one because you know that like, card interacted stupidly with um a gideon mardu that was when mardu vehicles was just the best deck and now, like just looking at it, um, the most expensive card is actually Paradox Engine. That was a sleeper for a long time. Uh, then that's like, picked up because of EDH. Obviously. The second most expensive card is Walking Ballista. And then it's and then it kind of like falls off pretty hard from there. We have Fatal Push, Baral, Disallow, Heroic Intervention, Metallic Mimic, uh, Ajani. Uh, wait, no, this is the... Uh... Never mind, the Johnny in question is the Planeswalker deck one. But there's, like, five cards that are worth more than Booster Pack at that point. Um, whereas if you compare that to Rivals of Ixalan, w- I would say Aether Vault is, like, objectively a more powerful set. But there are many, many more cards in Rivals Ixlon that have that actually seem to be holding up value better. Uh, like, none of the Mythics are, like, completely terrible. Most of the Mythics are, like, worth more than a Booster Pack. Um... And then we have like some rares are like doing fine. uh Galtha, Jade Light Ranger, Dire Fleet, Daredevil, like all those are like non, you know, non bulk rares. Whereas Aether Vault, like if you're opening up a booster pack, unless you're hitting one of the better cards, you're you're going to whiff pretty pretty hard. Mim- uh, Masterpiece is not, you know, not counted obviously because that that's what's actually propping up the value um, of those sets, but. I think just going forward, like, in rotation, I think Ixlon and Ravels Ixlon. I think there's definitely opportunities for people to make some money there, mainly because a lot of these cards, now that they're not being opened, they'll slowly start creeping up. Um, I think if people are ready to kind of buy into buy in at these low prices, I think they'll definitely be rewarded in the fall when things... Like, things there will definitely be an, a huge overhaul once Kaladesh and Amonkhet, like, rotate out because they're just a lot of those cards are just kind of created like this like huge, like disparity between the decks that play them and decks that don't like, like most notably like, uh like Torrential Gearhulk just it's a huge boon for control based decks, Hazret, a huge uh spike for aggressive based decks um and what have you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Ixalan is the place to start looking and Dominaria is going to look real good next summer.
0: Yeah, I, I think, like, just, like, so many legends, I, I think there's a lot of, like, really sweet things uh, that give people a lot of play space. Um, I think, like, as odd as it sounds, like, I, I I think we've talked about this in the past. Like, we've touched on Brawl, um, like, kind of in the past few weeks. Like, Doug, I don't know how Brawl has done for you in your store. Like, has that taken off, or have you... Has Not it really,
2: I mean, brawl hasn't taken off in my store particularly, but I don't think that is it, again. I don't think that should be counted as a sample size against brawl because I've sold a lot of cards for brawl to locals who either don't go to my store or people on Twitter. I've sold decent amount of uh, standard staples for brawl specifically as one of online. Like brawl is just like I don't think it's a bad format, and I recognize the fact that I'm not going to take like what happens at my LGS as gospel for like the format as a whole. Like we haven't fired a single brawl event. We have like myself and like two or three other people who have decks, but there's no like weekly brawl event or anything like that. But that's not the fault of the format. I think the format's good. I don't. I like it. I like it as a way to sell like random other garbage that I'm not
1: otherwise selling. They should drop legacy from the team pro tour and add brawl.
0: Uh, that would that would be uh that would be something else. I feel like both people would just be up in arms about it. Yeah, that being said, agree.
1: I. Uh, you think people would fight about it?
0: Oh God, dude, I, we got red, Jeremy, and then this is. <laughs> I, like, I like the slow
1: realization. <laughs>
0: <coughs> I was just thoroughly, I was thoroughly disappointed in you. I was just like flabbergasted. I like, I, I, I thought better of you, but clearly not. There was always be a Jeremy. Apparently,
1: the difference is I don't just like spam them and hope that everyone thinks it's funny. It was like the setup, right? It was the the, the threat of it. <laughs> it was a more clever application, of course. I, so, did you have something else there, Ed? Nope. Like you know, I think that kind of
0: sums up standard. Like, there's obviously a lot going on. Uh, we can continue to debate it, but I think that was. I think it kind of hits like all the points in standard. Like I think, oh, um, was it Friday or something? I think they announced they were changed. They uh, added the ban list. They ch- or ch- they changed the band list for, for broad bro, Yeah, that's well, not like uh, relevant or anything really. It's well, it's not relevant. I mean, it's
2: relevant if you were playing. Sure, it's not relevant to people who are looking to buy or sell cards based on the
1: format. Uh, correct. I guess it. Pro- it makes it. I guess it's relevant in the sense that they're clearly going to manicure it and try and keep people interested. Like we know a little bit more, it's not going to move any card prices yet, but I mean, there's no idea how they're going to work it.
2: It's also relevant from the standpoint that there was enough initial interest to make it worth their while to manicure it. Yeah. So if it was just sort of a tiny leaders-esque frontier-esque thing, they could have just been like, oh, we announced Brawl and now it's the thing, whatever. And then let Brawl just dominate for that small portion of people who played. But there has been enough outward... Uh, interest and vocalization to the point where they find it worthwhile to have a team dedicated to like looking at data and making adjustments and just sort of figuring out what the people want and listening to feedback like Gavin Verhey's article said. Agreed. Uh, I mean non-existent segue but one of the things I was interested in talking about was the Commander Anthology 2 because that was sort of probably one of the probably the one of the most profitable products for me last year was the commander anthology one um even as a store owner who just sort of like buys and sells cards um the commander anthology is a really good deal if you're just looking to get a giant pile of playable stuff for less than the value of the products inside um so if you can find that at MSRP I definitely think it's a uh, a fine buy not to like flip all the pieces on TCG player, but if you're just somebody who builds a bunch of EDH decks and wants to have a big collection of stuff and doesn't mind having multiples of cards like Reliquary Tower, Lightning or Thought Vessel, um, the Commander Anthology is not a bad place to put your money at all. And uh, I think that goes even further, just sort of from a next level standpoint, if you are somebody who normally buys and sells a lot of cards, and you want to look for deals on sealed product to stores and you're somebody who sort of waits for sales or watches your LGS's inventory to see if they have too many of something or if they overorder on something. The Commander Anthology is definitely uh, something that as you get it for less than MSRP, the more money you make off of it by a lot, especially if you buy them in bulk. Like... Uh, I found a store relatively recently in the past couple months who had a bunch of extra Commander Anthology overstock they had because they they ordered too much of it. It's kind of hard for an LGS to sell a product, that MSRPs, for $150 that's not like a booster box. It's not like something consistent or regularly occurring. Um, and so they just had a bunch of extra Commander Anthology decks a couple months ago. And I said, hey, are these on sale too? And I'll, I made them a bulk offer on all of them. And it was a really good deal for me just because I ended up getting the decks for... So far below uh, what they normally run for, and then they're just—it's a matter of just opening them, sorting them all, and just listing them all on TCG Player, and then people will make orders large enough to make it your worth for a while. So, if the Commander Anthology Two follows that same trend at around this time next year, it's definitely something to be looking for on the shelves. Of like, oh hey, I see you have four extra Commander Anthologies. Those have been gathering dust for a while. What do you do on all of them? So, that's just a product to keep an eye on. What is MSRP on it? 150. I, it's like one or one forty six or something like that. It's it's like one forty six ninety nine, I think. Something like that.
0: Okay. I just didn't remember off the top of my head. Like I know roughly our cost was and I kind of assumed that uh that the cost our cost is like fifty percent of it. Uh yeah. it, it like in my mind it just seems like an odd number to double up on, but I, I that sounds about right to me.
2: Um but yeah, if you're just somebody who needs those sort of cards and doesn't want to go on TCG player and fill a card of singles, uh, these sealed products are not a bad place to put your money, considering if you divide that one uh 140 something by four quadrants, then you're getting that uh fiery confluence, blade of selves or zincubator deck at around like thirty-five dollars. You're getting the uh the mimeoplasm deck that has grave pack mimeoplasm, skullbriar, etc., at around thirty-five dollars. Like, and you get all the other random two and three dollar garbage in it too so it's it's not a bad buy
0: yeah like i i think that like this is one of those places where it definitely rewards people who like really fall edh and like know their edh cards inside out um yep. but I, I think i like i didn't really pick up on how good edh i mean i always knew edh was good like and that's no secret but like learning from like commander anthologies last year um like, if you really piece it out, like like Doug said, um, there's just so many ways you can take advantage of it. Like, if you're not looking to make money on this, but you're looking to like stretch your dollar, you know, yeah, there's fair we have a fair option for sure. Yeah, we have a fair amount of listeners who do that, right? Like, I know at our our game store, like one of the most popular things people would do for Friday night was they would basically just chop their money four ways, and four people would go in on uh, on one of these on one of these collections. And like Doug said, like $30, and $30, you have a very reasonable place to start playing Commander, basically. Um, yep.
2: And these are yeah, for decks I, that normally go $60, $70 MSR. Like, before this uh, reprint, you couldn't find an Atraxa deck online for, like, less than 100 which is insane. So if you are considering buying an Atraxa deck by itself, why not buy all of these decks and just stretch your dollar to the furthest limit? And uh, not to ramble on further, but these commander anthology products also have a ton of cards or not even just cards uh, pieces in them that are worth money by themselves so last year's product has four of the commander anthology spin downs the uh these things right here the little uh go up to 99 they were originally in commander's arsenal uh i sell these on ebay for five bucks a piece and so that's just another 16 to 17 dollars after fees and shipping and all that that gets taken off of uh cost of the product. The Commander Anthology had the Elf Tokens from Krayalisa's deck. They're the Elf Druid Tokens that are basically Llanowar Um, Those are $2 a piece on TCG player and you get like 4 or 5 of them in Krayalisa's deck. So there's just a lot of ways that you can stretch your dollar with this product and you end up paying a very small amount in the grand scheme of things. I mean $150 is a lot of money to some people, but like once you sell all the random extra stuff that you don't need, you're left with a very sizable collection for a relatively good deal.
0: Yeah, and like given how popular EDH is, it's very easy to like say you only lot, want like one or like 1.5 of the decks or something, you can basically just cannibalize the collection and then just trade in, you know, all those EDH cards to a store or um, even just selling the sealed decks on eBay. Like it's let's say you want the Atraxa deck and you you don't want
2: the rest. If you buy the product, you take the Atraxa deck, you throw the Mimeoplasm deck on eBay for 50 bucks. You throw the I don't know, what is it? Duretti deck on, or Felden, whatever deck on eBay for 40 bucks. You throw the Mimeoplasm one on there for 45 bucks, and bam, you're you're golden. You said the Mimeoplasm deck twice. Did I? Whatever. Mimeoplasm, yeah. Duretti, and uh, oh, uh, the Fiery Confluence one, wait in the battle. Right. How salty were you about that? Not very, actually. Uh, when I woke up that morning.
1: I think so- our chat logs uh, take a different position there.
2: I was, I was concerned. I was not salty. I was concerned for a brief minute because uh, I knew I had to act fast. So quick backstory to this. Uh, I was the person who bought like 50 or 60 of the weight into battle decks off of Amazon and TCG player below a certain price point. Um, I pieced them out, sold a bunch of cards from it, made a lot of money because blade of cells, fiery confluence and earth's incubator were insane. Anyway, I still had a decent chunk of product from those, I saw that the red white deck was confirmed to be in it, and so I had to make a very quick uh, buylist card to Card Kingdom. And to their credit, they will always honor any buylist card that you send them as long as it is within the time frame that you ship it. And so I got out of my remaining fiery confluences like 18. I got out of my—they uh, bought my command towers at like 80 cents a piece or something insane like that, and I sent them like over a hundred. Um, but they were very, very reasonable with the the Biowast on those cards. So I didn't really lose money. I made out on, and just sort of liquidated the last of my stuff and uh, cashed out, so. Salty is not the word I would use. I was I was concerned for a brief minute until I looked at Card King and Biowast and hit the submit button.
0: Jeez. I think I sold something like 400 Command Tower them in GP Portland for like a quarter each or something, or like 33 cents. And I Yeah, I thought I was happy with that, but, jeez. Um... I guess we'll just wrap this up. Uh, at the end of the show last week, Jeremy... You we didn't had...
1: do your question. Your listener question.
0: I I, I was getting there.
1: Um, oh, you said we'll at, wrap this up, so...
0: I, at the end of last week, Jeremy had requested that instead of submitting a question, people start giving us suggestions for uh, what we do on our 100th episode. Uh, a lot of this is still up for consideration, but I think I will give the winner this week to Tom Simmons. Congratulations. Uh, he has suggested uh, to quote him, understanding that you're looking for show ideas, I thought I might throw a question in anyways. Uh, this is something that I guess we could discuss. I didn't realize there was actually a question here. But the winning yeah. show suggestion, <laughs> I, only, I only read part of this. Like A paragraph is way too much to, uh, to answer all at once. Um, the suggestion he, he threw out there was Bold predictions for 1, 5, and 10-year horizons would be cool. Magic, your personal lives, world at large, whatever. Take it and run with it. Um, so I guess that's something that we can bring up. We'll probably discuss. That's not a bad place for a 100th episode. That well, that question alone will probably take up, like, the hour long uh, that we call for. answer that long, Ed? I, don't, you, I thought you were going to be, like, dead in seven years. I'm I will be thirty next year. I don't have high hopes for my life after thirty. I mean I just look at people who like who are thirty, like Jim.
1: As a thirty-two year old, thank you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Wait, is Jim thirty? I have no idea how old Jim is. I think Jim's I my age. He's Jim is at least thirty, right?
1: He behaves is- like he's forty, so Jeez. Yeah. Going on
0: vacation, need an extra day to prepare to go on vacation. Must be nice.
1: Um, lives in Florida. Which is what old people do, grinds away yeah. at his computer <laughs> job.
2: <laughs> I mean, all he's just uh, said in our group chat recently. All of his coworkers are like fifty-five, so he's fitting right in.
0: Yeah. Uh, so Tom Simmons, congratulations! Uh, please uh, send us a message on Twitter um, or our Facebook group, and we will uh, get that ironed out for you.
1: Uh, Travis so is about that lost
0: sleep. Jesus,
1: stretching my I, I know. I'm also getting a
0: migraine. Okay. Well, let's wrap this up before Travis explodes. Uh, Pick of the week. Uh, Travis, why don't you go first?
1: Oh, no. I don't want to do one. Not tonight. I'll go. Uh,
2: My pick of the week is... Let me scroll down to it. Uh, So, a lot of people have been hating on Mox Amber, and I don't think there's a super busted, overpowered modern deck yet. But I think that there can be one, and I don't really, I really don't want to just like exclude and hate on a mocks. Uh, and I think one of the cards that could just randomly spike to twenty dollars overnight, based on the results, the potential results, is Arayo, uh, Sora Tommy Ascendant. I think is the name of the full card or Arayo Moonfolk something. Savers a comic hour rare, two mana one one flyer. When the fourth spell of a turn is played, it flips, um, and then it counters the first spell they play every turn it's like a seven dollar buy-in right now and it's just sort of the kind of card that if i see a good deal on it or if i see like a star city sale or a tcg kickback sale i'm probably gonna want to buy into 10 or 15 of them just because um i don't want to be missing out if just one random card is printed and spikes like this is sort of a restore balance-esque uh, necrotic ooze-esque cart with summoning s card where it just looks like it's almost there you get to play like Mox Opal, Mox Amber, at the Sworn Canadist. Um, I just think that there's a very pot- a potentially powerful shell with Mox Amber and Arayo, with how easy it lets it to flip. And I think Arayo is like definitely a card that's weird, hard to reprint. Um, and could see a very very substantial increase depending on cards that are printed in the future or deck lists that people who are better than me figure out.
0: Yeah, interesting that like that you. Talk about Mox Amber like that because we—that was actually one of the cards that we talked about, like for a decent amount of time, uh, before Domer came out. Um, I think three of us, I think everyone other than Jim thought the card had like potential, and I think Mox Amber is one of those cards where it's like still a little bit high to buy in, mainly because I don't think anyone's figured it out yet. Yeah, but Mox Amber is one of those cards that you want to keep an eye on. There's probably like a pretty high floor on how cheap it'll be mainly because it has kind of like the mythical allure of being a mox. Yeah. Um like it's one of those cards where if this card ever does get busted, it's it's gonna jump. Like if it, this sees like, you know, there's a modern deck that breaks out, Mox Amber is gonna be the card that jumps to like, you know, forty, fifty dollars at one event. Um yep. yeah, it's one of those things where like again, I think it's a little bit too high to buy in right now. I probably won't wait. Like we we did project that it would kind of have an initial like slip um, as it until it finds a home, and then when it does find a home, it's just going to be no, for
2: sure. But that's why I'm advocating buying a Sabres of a Kamigawa right. Rare instead of a Dominaria Mythic.
1: Yep, yep, I totally agree there. Uh, my I'm, pick. I'm also all in on Mox Amber. I'm just going to piggyback on that one. I see one at twelve dollars plus shipping. That is tasty. It's tempting.
0: Yeah. Um. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I think like just like that speculation aspect alone will just prevent this card yeah. from just ever being super cheap. I
2: mean, I think a a decent uh, analogy is when SRAM senior artificer was or a senior edificer was printed. Recall went from uh or not recall uh what's the retract retract went from like a dollar to five overnight just because people really wanted to test out and investigate the the chariots deck where you bounce all your artifacts, replay you pure steel Paladin shenanigans. Um, and if some pro player, somebody 8-0s a GP or 9-0s a GP or something like that with this weird shell that plays for Mox Amber, for Arayo, Mario maybe Kithian, I don't know what the rest of the deck looks like, but that's the kind of thing that makes uh, Arayo double or triple overnight.
0: I agree. Uh, my pick of the week, um, I, I think at this point it's almost been everyone's pick of the week. I think everyone, has we've mentioned in one form or another... Uh, Rivals on uh, the Immortal Sun. It's one of those cards where it's starting to look very similar. Isn't that like $12 already? Uh, the I think the low is a little bit lower than that. Um, it's actually, I think it's actually gone down a little bit. Um, and now I think it's like slowly starting to creep back up. Uh, Let's see, it's like ten dollars, nine dollars, ten dollars. TCG low is 14. Oh, wow. Okay, that card is. The card's definitely getting expensive. Um, This is, like, very simple. It's, like, a Paradox Engine S card, like, when it first came out. I think it was, like, everyone knew that the card was, like, going to, like, be busted EDH in some form. Um,
2: well, that's the thing, right? It's not, you know, it's not broken EDH. It's just popular. There's a very big difference between this card is absurdly busted, like Paradox Engine, and this card that just does all of the things that a commander player wants it to do. It's not at the top tables. It's not breaking anything. It's not going infinite. It's just this card oozes value from every core and it's just a card that every player can look at that and go, "Huh, I could play that in my dinosaur deck. I could play that in my vampire deck. I could play that in my not super friends, but I could play that in everything else."
0: Right, right. And it like it's a mythic, so like people like people aren't probably aren't going out there and buying like a ton of them, but if you have like, you know, four or five commander decks, it's very real that like three of the decks will probably benefit from them. Um it's a mythic. It's in the a small set, so it's hard to have a lot of them out there. And I think there's also the incidental um, splash damage in that Attracts is being reprinted. There'll probably be a lot of people who are looking to pick up Attracts decks. And this this deck, yeah, this does this is a very good job of trying to hose you know, the your, your one scumbag friend who is going to be building a Tracks deck now. Because so every time I see people, Go
2: yeah, ahead. here's another thing. Um... As a mythic, it is inherently harder to put it into a commander precon than a rare. So we see cards like Cage Sun, like Staff of Nin, just these weird value engine uh six mana artifacts that are relatively easy to jam into commander precons, but I don't think we've seen outside of like worm coil engine, maybe like just mythic rares from recent sets being put into commander precons to uh to push down their demand or to push down their push up the supply, I should say. So I it's hard to picture a scenario where this gets reprinted in the next two years just unless it gets completely blindsided by a precon or some sort of master set release, but that seems really out of place to me,
0: yeah like i I think like it's one of those things where it would just like quietly creep upwards. like if Paradox Engine hits twelve dollars, um this card is like way less popular than Paradox Engine I, or I don't know, that's hard to say like what's, I pediatric, like yeah. It, it's pretty close. Like, I'll probably do some research. Like, you guys can look onto this yourself, but here's my I pick. Duncan, of Doug can do this for me. Travis, go ahead. While here's Duncan, my pick of
1: the week. If your name is Rick, go get the Twitter handle EDA Trick. There you go. It's free for you. Immortal
2: Sun is not even on the 100 most played colorless cards in Commander,
0: according to EDA Trick. <laughs> um,. Where's Paradox Engine fall? I assume Paradox Engine is on there,
2: right? Paradox Engine is on there. Uh, okay. Paradox Engine is in 4% of all decks that it is legal in, um, whereas the Immortal Sun does not even make the cut of the top 100.
1: Yeah, it's in uh, 560 it's, decks, which is quite low at the moment. Interesting. But I think that's a, a part of that, I
2: think, is this card goes into the type of deck that players don't register on an EDA trick
1: trick uh, trick
2: so this is the uh, type of card that goes into the deck of the person who just pl- like is very very distance from the competitive or uh, sort of internet aspect of magic they just like got their precon they bought one of these off TCG player ever and that's the most they've interacted with an online store and then it's just sitting in their deck so this just might be the type of like super 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 casual card that just doesn't even register.
0: Right like I think like you said, it's just it's not meant to be a super competitive or just powerful card. It's one of those things that just everyone will play in in theory like maybe the dad proves me wrong, but it's just it's like a big splashy effect. everyone wants to draw more cards. your spells being cheaper is good. if your deck goes wide, you know it pumps all your creatures there's just there's just a lot of natural appeal to this card. So I assume Travis, you're still not on board with a pick of the week other than registering EDH Rick uh, as your Twitter have, handle. Uh, migraine. I don't, I don't do anything. Migraine. All right. We uh, wrap this up. Uh, where can people find you guys? Oh,
2: you can find um, me
0: uh,
2: on Brainstorm Brewery, which is the podcast that I'm going to be recording in about 25 minutes from now. And that goes up on YouTube. It goes up on uh, brainstormbrewery.com. It goes up uh, in your RSS feed if you subscribe to that. Uh, I don't know. You can find me personally, DJ Johnson on TCG player. My articles come out every Tuesday. They're free to read. They focus on magic finance and helping to make your collection cheaper, help make the game more affordable. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Rose of Thorns.
1: I'm Travis Allen. I'm on Twitter, wizard bump B U M P I N. I read every Monday, the Watchtower and MTG price. And I also do the MTG fast finance podcast.
0: You guys can find me on Twitter at Edwin 13. Uh, you guys will find all of us this weekend, except for Jim in Toronto, hopefully, depending on how plans for people fall through. And I will probably be in, in Toronto. Yeah. So why? Travis, your plans are still up in there on that? or I
1: will probably go. All if right. we can hurry up and make dinner reservations, I'll go. All right. I'm
0: sure we will make dinner, dinner reservations. Uh, with that, uh, you guys can find us this weekend. We'll probably tweet our locations, or we'll make Jeremy tweet our locations on site. I'll be behind the 95 MTG booth. Doug will be relatively stationary if you want to go sell him your bulk. Uh, With that, thank you for listening to episode 97. Until next week,
1: signing off.